it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So we're sitting here with my friend, Bruce Springsteen. We just grew to trust each other. I felt really at home around you. Renegades, born in the USA. A new Spotify original podcast from Higher Ground. Listen free only on Spotify. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal. A safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller. I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Hey, it's Jay Zawoski. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'll be right with you with the new episode in a matter of moments. But first, I want to let you know about my new Blackhawks book coming out on November 10th. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks, published by Triumph Books. The foreword is written by two-time Stanley Cup champion David Boland. If you're interested in ordering my book, and I would greatly appreciate it if you did, head to bookshop.org or bookiesbookstores.com to support great independent booksellers if you're more of an amazon kind of a person you can get it there too or any major book retailer if you'd like a signed advanced copy of the book head to madhousepod.com book click on the image there and fill out that google form and i will ship you a signed copy within days the name of the book the big 50 the men and moments that made the chicago blackhawks by jay zawoski that's me coming out november 10th from triumph books The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. 
Welcome in, friends, to this latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Nebo from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the I'm Fat Podcast and of best-selling author fame. Jay, how's it going, man? Are you getting excited for the book to come out next week? I am quite excited. Uh, We are officially a week away. We're recording this on uh, November 3rd. Nothing else happening today at all. Uh, No other headlines. No, it's the week out of my book. That's what this official calendar date is. Uh, And yeah, I'm getting excited. I did the House of L podcast the other day with Lawrence Holmes. I recorded with the guys from Blackhawks Talk, Charlie Romeliotis and Pat Boyle yesterday. That'll be posted on Friday. And I'm going to be a guest on another podcast this week. James, you want to fill the people in? (laughs) Well... Jay and I are nothing if not trailblazers, so what we're going to do (laughs) is we're going to flip the script a little bit, and Jay is going to be a guest on his very own podcast, because I will be interviewing him on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast about his new book. I assure you, dear listeners, if you thought that we were... You know, tough but fair on Stan Bowman. I guarantee you I'm going to ratchet up the pressure even more on Jay Zawoski about his book. So I cannot that, wait. That will be the end of the week. Look for that on Thursday or Friday as uh, as schedules allow. But that will happen uh, towards the end of this week. Uh, so check that out. Of course, you can always follow us uh, on Twitter at MadhousePod, Instagram at Madhouse underscore pod. We're on Facebook, Madhouse Hockey, CHI. Uh, pretty much everywhere you can find us, we're there. Check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com. That's powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Chris said, we have sold some items. We got to do a better job promoting. He's right. That's on me. Some new designs will be available soon, though, but go check that out, madhousepodmerch.com. And you can always just go to madhousepod.com, and you can be linked to buy a signed copy of my book. You can be linked to our merch shop in there. All of our episodes are there, so madhousepod.com is your one-stop shop for all things Madhouse Podcast. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Oh, by the way, if you want to email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. Very easy. A lot to get to today. Jeremy Cowton was a guest on the Laz and Powers podcast, uh, the athletic podcast with Scott Powers and Mark Lazarus. I want to bring back two chunks of audio from that interview. He talks about... Uh, the meeting he had with the veterans and sort of the philosophy going forward of playing young players, developing versus playing veterans. And he also directly responds to a question about his relationship with Brent Seabrook. Some really good stuff from them. Make sure you check out that entire interview. It's really good. It's really insightful. We also want to talk about the Blackhawks loaning Kirby Doc to Team, to team Canada for the World Junior Championships. Those happen December 26th through uh, January 5th. The Blackhawks have started an initiative in uh, in coll- what is the word I'm looking for collaboration with Native American History Month. Their website has a whole bunch of stories and items on there. That's great. We'll talk about that. Some new NHL jerseys. There's a lot to get to. So let's start. I think James, we should start with uh, Jeremy Cowlton's interview with Laz and Powers. And I know you got a chance to listen to uh, a bunch of it, especially the parts we're going to play. However, you feel about his response to these questions. It just illustrates how valuable the transparency thing is to the fan base, to people like us, to everybody. To know what they're thinking, to know what they're doing uh, is really, really helpful. And it cuts out a lot of the guesswork 
that over the last six years, you and I have sort of been forced to do when they talk about these big decisions. Yeah, I mean, that's something obviously we've talked about extensively that we, you know, kind of were hoping that the organization would be a little bit more transparent, I think, with the fans. And we we had wanted this to start, obviously, with the players themselves, because especially guys like Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, those guys have been around for a very long time. And we were pretty staunch advocates for not necessarily asking those guys for like permission on some of these types of moves, but at least consulting with them because it did seem like from time to time they were not being talked to, especially about moves like the Brent Seabrook decision to bench him, the decisions to get rid of Corey Crawford and Brandon Sodden and they kind of go in this new retooling kind of direction. And Jeremy made it very clear, I think, that you know, obviously these players are not going to like what they're doing. I, I, I did like his quote about the uh about the Crawford and Sod moves. It sucks, for lack of a better term, is what Colleton said about that. And and I did appreciate the way that he kind of phrased that and the way that he was talking about a few of the other things with that. And again, we're not asking like the players for permission, I think, in these situations, but at least you at least have to be open and transparent with them. And I think that Colleton did a nice job of explaining that part of it, I think. Obviously, we had talked to Stan Bowman recently about these moves as well, and he kind of echoed some similar notes about wanting to make sure that he had some of the buy-in from the veteran players. And I thought it was an interesting continuation to hear about it from Jeremy, too. And I, while I did think that Stan was a little bit more forthright, Potentially, I at least thought that uh, it was nice to hear Jeremy Colleton kind of discuss that and kind of talk about some of the things that he went through as he dealt with these uh, Zoom calls with some of these veteran players as the Blackhawks head in a new direction. Well, let's hear from Jeremy Colleton himself. So this was uh, Mark Lazarus asked a question uh, here. You'll hear the question and we will respond afterwards. You still have got Kane, Taves, Keith and Seabrook on this roster. How did that Zoom call go with you and Stan and those guys? Uh, obviously, Taves was not pleased when Corey Crawford was let go and Brandon Saad was traded. These are guys that are important to the core. Um, do you feel they have they've fully bought into what you're doing? Are they on board? Yeah, it's as a player, you never like to see a teammate go. I mean, it's it's a part of the business. That's uh, you know, it's the it sucks to for lack of a better term, um, but. No, I think the Zoom call was more of a check-in and, hey, let's just make sure everyone's on the same page um, with, so you know what we're trying to do. If you'd like um, some more explanation on any of these decisions. I mean, it's hard. Stan's not going to have, you know, 25 phone calls uh, with with players and, you know, just to check in, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you, I mean, that's just not, realistic but at the same time um just like the coach i mean i'm not going to have a team meeting on the bench about who i'm going to send out in the last minute but it doesn't mean that after the fact we can't uh, discuss it and give a little more explanation for for what we're doing and why we did it um having said that i feel like we we've been pretty open with how we feel we're going to get back to being a top team in the league, not with the media, not with the fans, but certainly with the players. It's important that they understand 
like my goal is to get us back to winning the cup and being a top 10 team. And, and uh, they may not agree with every specific decision that's made in the moment. Um, but hopefully they agree with the idea. We want to win the cup again. And we want to be, be, uh, be at that of that quality. Um, and that's going to be from giving young players opportunity. And um, again, my, 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 uh, and Stan as well, Stan's job is to do what's best for the Blackhawks. And that's my job as well. And, and doing what's best for the group is not always what's best for the individual, but doing what's best for the group is best for most individuals. And that's, I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> and, and so in, in any given decision, there's going to be certain players who don't love it and that's fine. That's, that's part of coaching and that's part of um, this business. But at the same time, if it's what's best for the group, then that's a good, then we'll move that direction. So I I'm sort of on board with what Calton is saying there. And I, I do think the transparency to the players is a valuable thing, but at the same time, he's saying, I don't have to run things by these guys. And I think he's right. You know, it's what I think when we had the, you know, when Jonathan Taze was upset and we were responding to that news, it was almost as if he was caught off guard by the thing. And I think I'll, I'll speak for myself and I know you, you sort of feel the same way. We're not saying that Bowman or Cowan need to get approval from these guys, but I think telling telling them that the plan is development and it, you'll hear later in the show if you listen to the whole interview Cowton says our we have to be in development mode all the time even if we're winning we have to have an eye towards development because that's how you sustain success and if that's the plan going forward he also talks about hey if, if there's a minute left in the game in November you might see Boquist and Doc and Mitchell and young guys out there in that situation down a goal to teach them to, to grow, to help in that development. And while it may rub the veterans the wrong way, it's going to be the best thing to do for the team in the long term. So that's something that stood out to me from that cut. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement on that. I think that Jeremy, obviously, he's been put in a very you know awkward situation, which, again, like you said, he does allude to in a later answer about having been even a teammate with some of these guys and then you know kind of being in that same age range I guess you would say and kind of the interesting struggle that that does pose like the interesting question that it poses and I'm sure that a guy like David Ross with the Cubs is probably going through a similar thing where he's been teammates with some of those guys and he's in a new role now and has to be listened to differently and I think that a lot of the criticism that we kind of levied at Jeremy Colleton was that it seemed like he was not a guy who was kind of taking the initiative to reach out to some of these guys. Like, obviously, we are not as aware, I suppose, of exactly what happened behind closed doors with those guys. But I thought that he did a really good job of kind of uh, being on the periphery, I think, of that conversation. I'm assuming that this was probably a Stan Bowman kind of engineered talk with those players after the Sod and Crawford moves. And I think that 
Colleton lent a very interesting perspective on that as well, and I think that he's in an interesting position as the team's head coach to kind of try to soothe the nerves of these guys and to get them to go out and play hockey every day where they're not necessarily going out thinking that they're going to be competing for a Stanley Cup during the 2021 season because ultimately that's where he's really going to come in. He's really going to come in getting those guys to play their best, getting the new guys to develop properly, and he's kind of going to have to do this very interesting kind of balancing act. And so it was interesting to hear him kind of talk about the change in direction and kind of trying to, you know, gauge whether those guys were going to buy in or not. Well, speaking of buy in, one of the guys that was widely reported as not bought in was Brent Seabrook. Mark Lazarus asked Jeremy Collin about his relationship with Brent Seabrook and a little bit more. Here's the question on Brent. This was actually directly following the piece we just played. How how is your relationship with him? Is it awkward? Is it that first time you scratched him? How uncomfortable was that for you? Or can you just separate that as I'm coach now? It's the past doesn't matter. Yeah, no. I mean, it's hard because I, I've known him for a long time and and uh, was his teammates and those. I mean, as as they just went through with saying goodbye to to Corey and and uh, Sauter, it's like. Those are you don't lose those bonds when you've won together and, and had had that experience. Um, as you said, I got to do what's right for the team and what's right for the group. And uh, you know, I think with older players, you try to do it as much as possible behind closed doors. I think that's the right thing. Um, it's it's hard because um, sometimes you know you again communication is sometimes communication you may not hear what you want to hear and that's that's tough to take sometimes and uh, but that's I understand that's that's part of the job and that's part of the business and and they're not going to like every decision I make but hopefully if they they know that I'm doing what I think is right for the Blackhawks they can understand at least where I'm coming from Brent's not a guy who really holds back his emotions either I mean does it ever get heated between the two of you I, I <laughs> it's not right to like um, give a play-by-play of, of the conversations. But whenever you tell a player he's not going to play, it's hard. But all you can do is give them the opportunity to voice their opinion and um, their feedback, and, and they deserve to hear um, the, the reasoning and why we're doing it and, and sort of like the evidence. And uh, doesn't mean they're going to like it, but everyone deserves that. When we look at the, at the, the, the roster you have, there's a good chance he would be your number seven if all the young guys come in. If Mitchell plays the way you want him to play, and the and Dehan and Murphy, everyone's healthy. You got seven guys. Uh, do you think he would accept that role? That he would be okay being a rotational guy? You know, never mind the contract, never mind anything else. Just the fact that who he is on that team, what he's accomplished. Do you think he'd be okay accepting that role? Well, we we got to let it play out. I mean, we can't. Again, I talk about we're not going to handicap this. We got to let it. We got to get to camp, and obviously, he's been working really hard to to get back to the level he wants to be at and he wants to play. And I understand that. I mean, players want to play and uh, that's how we should. That's his, that's what his mindset should be. And, but then I got to do what's best for the team and, and for the Blackhawks, uh, not just now, but in game 70 and, and next season and the year after that. And that's, that's how I want to run the team. I think it's good that we've been, as an organization more open about what we're doing because it just makes it a little bit easier um 
for me to speak in media <laughs> about, about uh, when we, we make certain decisions. Um, we know where we're at. I mean, it's since I've been here anyway, I mean, we think there's a pretty clear eyed um, evaluation of, of that. We're not an elite team quite yet. And that's what we want. That's where we want to get to. So again, every decision that I make, every decision that Stan makes should be serving that long-term goal. And it'll be no different with uh, who plays. How, how do you balance it? I mean, if Seabrook comes back and he's, he's playing well, Shaw comes back or Zach Smith and, there are some young guys that newer young guys like Ian Mitchell or Pia Suter. How do you balance wanting to get those young guys time and, and trying to to win and, and, you know, do what's best for the future, even though the present might be that those more experienced or, you know, veterans are having success in the lineup. Well, that'd be a great problem to have. Certainly. I mean, uh, I, talk, I think I talked about it earlier where you want quality to play with your young players because that's going to help them have success. You know, having adversity is good for them. They got to go through that. But then when they do the right thing, it's nice if they get rewarded. And so with results. And so we we want to put these guys in a position to succeed as well. Um, and if if we have too many, too many good players playing well, performing well, and a couple of these guys got to spend a little bit extra time in Rockford, that's not the end of the world either. Um, but we're going to use we're going to use our our roster spots in Chicago. We're going to use the opportunities we have in Rockford to develop as many players as we can uh, because we need more depth. I mean, if you look at our team in the playoffs, like we played much better in the second half than we did in the first half. We played much better in the playoffs than we did in the second half. There was a definite progression, but. You know, we beat Edmonton, and then we, when we played Vegas, they were better than us. I mean, they just – we – the commitment to play in the right way was as good as it had been since I've been here. Uh, and we, we played with Vegas. We stuck with them for a lot of that series, but we just couldn't sustain it for 60 minutes. Uh, you know, when you, in overtime, you know, the, in game two, it just – they just had too much push, too much depth. They were, they were too relentless. We just – our, our, our level, we couldn't hold it for long enough. So in order to get to that, we need more players. We need more guys who can make a difference. We need more guys who can drive uh, possession, play in the offensive zone. So um, there's a place for older players, and we're not going to have a group of 21, 22-year-olds, and uh, we'll let it play out. Here's one of the things I like about Jeremy Cowden, and I have since he ha- made the decision to – Brent Brent Seabrook, he is willing to be unpopular. He knows that veteran guys, especially Brent Seabrook, are not going to be happy with sitting out. And look, that's the reason we love this core of Blackhawks players. That's the reason they are as accomplished as they are, because they're so competitive, because they want to win so badly. You know, we talk about Taves and Keith and Kane and Seabrook and how they just sort of have willed themselves to Stanley Cups before. That That's part of their makeup. And you're not going to get rid of that. But I think the fact that Jeremy Cowton says, you know what, I'm not afraid of pissing off Brent Seabrook. It's part of the job. It's not a fun part of my job, but it's part of the job, and he's going to have to deal with it. He also said he wants to avoid handicapping the contest right now. He's not saying that Brent Seabrook doesn't have a top six spot yet. So I think he's saying all the right things. Uh, let's see if you know the plan actually executes accordingly if and when the season begins in January. 
that that part of it i think was the most interesting part to me was the fact that he didn't want to handicap the contest and he kind of wasn't getting into the roster construction part of this and the deployment of that roster i i was very fascinated by that part of it and obviously it's something that all sports teams are going to do they're going to say they don't want to be at a competitive disadvantage or whatever they want to say but it's true I mean, you definitely don't want to go into the season having a preconceived notion, I think, especially on their blue line of who's going to fit in where and who's going to earn roster spots. I think you want there to be as open of a competition as possible. And I do think there is something to that. And I do think that there's going to be a benefit to having those guys competing for the job. If you're open and honest with them, that you're not going into this thinking to yourself, okay, here's who's going to slot in here. Who's going to slot in here. I think that players, they may not love that. They may not love not having the guaranteed roster spot or whatever, but at the same time, I do think that it's a good idea because at least then they know where they stand. And as long as you're open and honest about that, I think that could be a good thing for the blue line. And I definitely thought that to me was probably the more interesting thing that Jeremy Colleton did was he just steadfastly refused to kind of say, look, Brent Seabrook is the number six or Brent Seabrook's the number seven. He's like, no, we're going to let this play out. And I think that honestly, like it seems kind of – I guess it should be common sense, but it is the right thing to do no matter what. Well, here's something I took away, too, from now I've heard, you know, we've heard several interviews with Stan Bowman, and now we hear Jeremy Cowton. Both of them have gone out of their way to say someone spending time in Rockford is not a bad thing. It's not a punishment. It doesn't mean they're failing. Sometimes it's good for their development, right? And I think that we are very likely to see either Ian Mitchell – or Adam Boquist begin next season in Rockford. And we talked about it last week, and Sam Bowman said it in his interview with us that he thought going into last season that Ian Mitchell was ahead of Adam Boquist in development. So it wouldn't shock me if Mitchell wins that job and Boquist begins the year in Rockford. I wouldn't be happy about it. I want them both playing, but I understand that they've got to sort of balance out who's ready and who has improved and who's ready who's the most ready to to fill in that spot because you look at the other spots Keith and Dehan and Murphy those guys aren't going to sit you know there's not a ton of spots open on the blue lines Zadorov is not going to sit so there's only a a few spots to to be won and you're also not going to have one of those kids up here on the bench right you're not going to have one of those guys in the press box if Mitchell and Boquist are here they should be in the lineup so I think just sort of all of us calibrating the way we look at next season. If a guy is sent down or if a guy spends time or starts the year in Rockford, it's not necessarily the end of the world. It doesn't mean they suck. It doesn't mean they're a failure. It's not a punishment, but it could be the best thing for their, their development. And this is something I've talked about a lot is we've been spoiled with the instant development of a lot of players, but you look around the NHL and it's not as much as it used to be, but a lot of guys need a couple years in the AHL before they're ready to be, you know, consistent contributors at the NHL level so would not shock me to see one of those two big young named defensemen Mitchell or Boca start the year in Rockford and if it happens at least we've sort of been warned here by Bowman and and now by Colleton 
Yeah, I'm still kind of trying to come to grips with that at least a little bit, I think. Not necessarily the idea that going down to Rockford is not a punishment because obviously that's not how we should look at it. I feel like that's kind of an easy trap to fall into in the heat of the moment or whatever. You're kind of like, well, this guy needs to be in the NHL developing. And I think that Stan did a good job of kind of at least disabusing me of that notion and kind of refocusing my mindset on that a little bit. The one question that I do kind of have about all of that like with the roster construction on the defensive blue line is I, I'm wondering if you're really doing this rebuild, if you're really serious about kind of development and getting these young guys some, you know, exposure to the NHL game and it's about developing them, why not explore potentially trading a guy like Connor Murphy? I know that he's one of your most consistent defensemen, but I also know, like you said, this team has a bit of a backlog on their blue line, and it could force a guy like Adam Boquist down to the AHL. If we get to training camp and Boquist and Ian Mitchell both look really good, and it's going to be like only one of them gets to stay and one of them has to go, doesn't that potentially stunt the development if a guy like that earns that chance at the NHL but can't do it because he's blocked by another player at this level? It's an interesting question, and my instinct is to say, yes, you're right. But I wonder, is sending a kid to Rockford really stunting development? That's sort of the question I have. And I want to ask some scouting friends I have, um, people around the league, people in junior leagues who I know, is it really a bad thing to go spend time in Rockford and really be good, play a ton of minutes, play penalty kill, shorthanded, even strength, to get all those opportunities and be ready to come up and have that supreme confidence? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. So Colin was asked in this interview, well, what do you do if you've got Andrew Shaw playing well and Brent Seabrook playing well and there's just no spots for the kids? That's when I think you get to your Connor Murphy answer, right? If everyone's playing really well and you've got Boquist, who's clearly ready, and Mitchell, who's clearly ready to be you know, two of your top six defensemen, no questions asked, then I think you do start to look at maybe moving guys out. Maybe it's not in the beginning of the season. Maybe it's 10 games in, 20 games in, when you, where you see where their development's at, how they're handling. You Because know, I think we've seen a lot of young players start the season really well. Then as the grind sort of sets in, they start to fade a little bit. I think mm-hmm. Yokoharu is a really good example of that. Yes. Came out guns blazing two years ago. Then things sort of started to fall off for him a little bit. As the season goes on, you start to see those struggles. So... If you see those guys maintaining that level of play, then I think, of course, I think someone like Connor Murphy is hugely appealing. You know, back injuries aside, uh, that's a guy who is a really steady defenseman, still on the young end, relatively cheap for what he provides. I I do think you would start to look at moving guys like that. And maybe it's Andrew Shaw if some team wants to take on somebody like that. Maybe it's a a Ryan Carpenter. There's there there are guys who are tradable on this roster and I think you know Murphy and DeHaan especially on the blue line would be number one and two I think those guys probably have the most trade value Mm -hmm. of the veteran players on the roster right now assuming DeHaan's shoulder is okay big assumption but he did make it through the playoffs with healthy and now he's got a whole however long this offseason is to recover so and and I would also like to point out when I was talking about the sending down to the AHL the whole thing with that we're, we're not, again, I'm not saying that this is some type of a punishment or I'm like super worried that it's going to be this huge uh, development stunting thing to do. 
like you said, Jay, it's a really good thing, I think, to be able to put guys into different situations and to kind of up their versatility a little bit, whether you want to see Boquist more as the quarterback on the power play, put him more in top defenseman minutes in the AHL if you want to maybe give him a little bit of penalty kill time just to kind of see what you have there. That's all fine to me, but I also am well aware through all of our events that we've done at Chicago Wolves games and going to a good number of Rockford Ice Hogs games over the years, there is a definitive and easy-to-see difference in the speed of the game when it comes to the AHL and the NHL, that jump. And I think for a guy like Adam Boquist specifically, who seemed to struggle at times with the speed of the NHL game and having to make those instantaneous decisions, it was like he was thinking for a beat too much and then getting behind. I think for a guy like him, his development, I would postulate that potentially his growth as a player might be better served being in the NHL to get used to that game speed. But I do see the value in having him in those different roles in the minor leagues. So I think that he's a really interesting case study and question into what the Blackhawks are really looking to do with this rebuild and with the development of these younger players. That's a really good point, especially as it pertains to Bocas, because and I think you said this, but just to be clear, when you say speed, you don't mean skating speed you mean decision making speed and that's those are sort of the things that we've seen Boca struggle on is he, he hesitates for a second what's the right thing to do here and by the time he reacts it's too late you might be right and this we gotta what's what's you and I as we have our production meeting on the air let's think about who we could talk to about maybe Mark Kelly the uh, Hawks director of scouting would be willing to come on and, and talk with us sort of about that because I'm really curious about that mindset on the development of a player can sending a guy down stunt their growth are is one kind of player better to send down i don't know let's let's think about the right guy to talk to um about that by the way we have to we're way behind on reads uh, but speaking of development we've got a little bit of a story to share next but i want to tell you about our friends at dr squatch natural soap company drsquatch.com i am running low on soap i need to place another order man it's been a while i am i got the four wide Soap saver on my shower, James, and all four of them are looking like slivers right now. Got the cool fresh aloe, got the chalky milk, got the pine tar, and the drunken pumpkin. The drunken pumpkin's got a lot left because it was the Halloween one, and I love it. What are we talking about? Dr. Squatch is an all-natural, handmade-in-the-USA soap company. I was having huge trouble with my skin, with my hands. My skin was cracking and bleeding just sort of randomly, and I had had enough, so I signed up for Dr. Squatch, became a subscriber, and loved it so much, I reached out to them about advertising on my podcasts. They said yes, and it's been a great partnership ever since. So go to drsquatch.com, take that Squatch quiz on the top right corner of the page. Once you fill that out, once you find out the products you need, enter the promo code MADHOUSE20 at checkout. You'll save 20% on your order and help the podcast at the same time. We've had a lot of Madhouse podcast listeners join Squatch Nation. They love it as much as I do. I promise you will love it. That's a Jay Zawoski guarantee. DrSquatch.com, promo code MADHOUSE20 to save and to help us out. All right, before we break, a little bit of Hawks news this week. Kirby Doc has been lent to Team Canada for the World Junior Championships. Those take place December 26th through January 5th. Uh, I have no problem with this. You want to talk about development opportunities? That's one for Kirby Doc to go play and you would assume dominate at a high-level 
competition with guys his own age. I think you're going to see a bunch of other guys with some NHL experience playing in that as well. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That That's going to be awesome to watch, especially assuming it could be the first hockey we have for a while. Maybe the preseason will be underway by that point because we're thinking about a January 1st return. But, man, I'm excited to see Kirby Doc in the World Juniors as long as he doesn't get hurt. I think that's pretty much the prevailing wisdom at this point is that it's the – yeah, it's going to be really great for him. Like, he'll be able to get back out on the ice and play against the best young players in the world. Just don't get hurt. And then all you have to do is think back to Traverse City last year and how that kind of set the stage for the first part of uh, – Kirby Doc's NHL career and all you think to yourself is do I want that to happen again like it kind of does make you a little bit nervous and I feel like I saw that a lot from Blackhawks Twitter especially after that announcement was made that they were making him available to play in a non-NHL tournament where he could potentially get hurt and screw up his second NHL season, which we obviously know is going to be really key to showing whether or not he's still carrying the momentum forward from his time in Edmonton and his development that he made during the second part of last season and into the postseason. Those are really real concerns, and I saw that a lot on Blackhawks Twitter, and I kind of wanted to get your feedback on whether you thought people were overreacting or whether their fears were kind of justified. No, I think that's justified for sure, especially considering how big of a role it looks like he's going to have. Keep in mind, Dylan Strom is still not signed. And, you know, Stan Bowman said they're going to get it done. They're confident it will get done. And so am I. But Doc has won that number two center job. That is his job. And even comparing it to Traverse City, at least then he was still under the watch of Blackhawks employees. Now he's being sent to play for coaches that don't really have a, a, you know, a horse in the race in terms of Kirby Doc's NHL career. So if they're going to play him, you know, 27 minutes a night in all situations and he's going to be their go to guy, which he very well may be. That is a little concerning for me, but I'm going to try to talk myself out of that. I'm going to try to not worry about it until I have to and try to enjoy the hockey because I can't wait to see Kirby Doc on a stage against, you know, you're going to I think you're going to see him dominate going Mm -hmm. through, you know, quote unquote playoffs. Well, they were playoffs. They played against Vegas where he was probably the best Blackhawk on the ice for most of it, aside from maybe Jonathan Taves, to see that guy up against the juniors is going to be impressive. So as long as he stays healthy, I'm all for it. I think things like this go a long way towards the players who want to do this. And while Sam Bowman's not the one to give discounts or not no trade clauses or (laughs) you know what I mean, but maybe there's a consideration made somewhere down the road saying, hey, you did this for me, and and maybe I'll do this for you. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm projecting that and hoping it happens, but uh, I think it's a good opportunity for Kirby, and, uh, you know, as long as he stays healthy, knock on, I have no wood down here, but I've got plastic. Knock on plastic, he stays healthy. I do have a wood desk, so I will go ahead and I will knock on that wood. Yeah, do it twice. Give it one for me. Yep. (laughs) Thank you. appreciate that. Um, The the only other thing, obviously, that would concern me is just the idea of him – potentially, and this is going to occur with all of the players, I think, is hopefully he doesn't get COVID either. I know they're going to be very (laughs) careful about this bubble, but, man, wouldn't that just be like the 2020 fortune that we've had to deal with this entire year that he would go to this tournament and he would go play and he would get something like that? Like That obviously is another big concern for me, especially seeing the – 
spike in cases in various places in this country and around the world. It's just uh, playing a major international tournament. Just there's part of me that's just thinking to myself that they probably shouldn't be doing that. But like you, Jay, I've seen what the NHL was able to do in their two bubble system. And I do hope that the world juniors can take those lessons forward and they can really keep those players safe and give us a little bit of a distraction, give us some hockey to watch. And I think that I would definitely consume that product if it were made available. So hopefully, you know, everything, everybody stays safe, everybody stays healthy and just gives us something to enjoy as we kind of wait for the NHL to get its act together and kind of determine when they're actually going to get started. Speaking of things you'd consume, ah. Fry the Coop, FryTheCoop.com. Oh, yeah. I, I would consume all of that. Yeah, as you should. Nashville hot chicken. Perhaps the best Nashville hot chicken you've ever had. I've had all of the greats in Nashville, and I believe that, you know what? Fry the Coop is right there with them. Maybe better than all of them. I, I think I crave them more than I do the ones in Nashville. Go check them out for yourself. You can get the chicken tenders. They've got the donut chicken sandwich. Yes, you heard me say that, the donut chicken sandwich. Chicken and waffles, but you know what? The little extra added flair that Fry, Fry the Coop has with their chicken and waffles. The waffles have bacon cooked into it. Yeah, Fry the Coop is as good as it sounds. Go to frythecoop.com. Check out their locations in Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, and coming soon to Prospect Heights. You can place your order online. You can pick up at their window. Make sure you get that spicy butter. That stuff is absolutely amazing. Ask for it on the side, and you can dip your chicken in it, and it will blow your damn mind. Several levels of heat from melt your face off to no heat at all. So whatever you're into, even if you don't like spicy chicken, you can get it that country style the kids love that. My daughter loves the country style. She does not want to set her face on fire, so she goes with the country style. So go visit our friends at Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. We're going to take a quick time out. When we return, we're going to talk about the Blackhawks Native American Heritage Month initiative and preview some of the new uniforms in the NHL this season. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of menopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to HelloBonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's HelloBonafide.com and code RADIO39. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only. Welcome back in, friends, to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've been talking a lot about Jeremy Colleton's comments today on the show. Also been talking a little bit about Kirby Doc playing his you know, play for Team Canada coming up at the World Junior Championships, giving us all something to watch. It's going to be real fun and exciting. We do, however, need to talk about another major headline that did come out from the organization this week. 
this I don't know if uh, our listeners are aware, but November is Native American Heritage Month. And to mark the start of that, the Blackhawks have made what is called a formal land acknowledgement, which recognizes the organization's relationship with indigenous peoples in their traditional territories around the Chicago area. And they made this declaration. It's been part of an ongoing initiative. The organization has been trying to increasingly engage with the Native American community and to honor them and to honor kind of the heritage of this area and also the connection that it has to the Blackhawks organization. And they issued this land acknowledgement. And it, it honestly, it made national news. Like I saw headlines about this in you know, as varied of outlets as The Hill, Politico, People Magazine had a story about this. It just, it was a very widely reported story and one that I think I was a little bit surprised. I think that it kind of took on the life that it did. Like, obviously we know what the Blackhawks have been doing in the Native American community, but I think in this era where you're seeing teams increasingly step away from Native American iconography, mascots, logos, all that stuff, it was very interesting to see kind of the national attention paid to this Blackhawks uh, land acknowledgement. And for those, for those listeners, by the way, who don't know what a land acknowledgement is, I pulled this up from Northwestern university. A land acknowledgement is a formal statement that recognizes and respects indigenous peoples as traditional stewards of this land and the enduring relationship that exists between those indigenous peoples and their traditional territories. So I think the Blackhawks are going to make this announcement before each one of their games. They're going to pay tribute to the Native American tribes that lived in the Chicago and the Illinois area. So you're talking like the Miami, the Sauk, the the Fox, the Ho-Chunk, the Potawatomi, the Odawa that those those tribes all had land in this area. And you obviously can see, you know, memorials to that all over the place. And the Blackhawks are going to make it a point to recognize those tribes before each game. I think this is a really good step for the Hawks. And I have long been, because of the Blackhawks, fascinated in in Native American culture. I've always thought because of my uh, fandom with the Blackhawks is I wanted to learn more about Native Americans really because of that. And I don't know if that is strange or if there's other Hawks fans that have, have done the same thing, but I really like that they are being outward and forward with this. And and the conversation about the logo is very polarized. We've talked about it before. We don't even need to get into it with this conversation. But my one of my complaints was you say you respect the heritage. You say that it's all done, you know, with uh, the utmost respect. Then I shouldn't have to do so much research on my own to find out who Blackhawk was and what Native Americans tri- tribes lived in Illinois, and they're doing this, and they're advancing the knowledge. And just by doing that, just by educating the fans, th- they're taking a huge step. And and if you look through their website, they've got, like you said, the land acknowledgement. There's Legacy of Blackhawk. It teaches you about the man, Blackhawk, uh, sharing Native American stories. So they've got a number of Native Americans featured on their page telling their story, programs and what's ahead. So they're talking about the things they're supporting, the artwork on the page uh, was designed by a Native American. Uh, so they're really they're doing great things here. And hopefully this is not just a thing they put together for this month. Hopefully it's continuous. I would love to see during games, aside from the land acknowledgement, how hard would it be during the first TV timeout of the game when everybody's really settled in to show as best you can, you know, a minute and 45 second history lesson 
on the Native Americans of the area and why they chose Black Hawk and things like that. And they can sort of rotate into different stories. You can do one a period or whatever. I think that putting your money where your mouth is, taking away advertising and and showing uh, what these people mean to this region would be hugely impactful. And you've got a captive audience there in the stadium sitting down looking at that scoreboard while they're waiting for the ice to be cleaned. Teach them, show them why, and show them how you respect the Native American people and Black Hawk himself. I think it's a great step. There's a lot more work to be done, but I think this is a step in the right direction. I know the cynic would say, oh, you know, they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to get out of the way of the of the logo talk, and maybe that's part of it, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, under Danny Wirtz's leadership, they're they're trying to be more respectful and trying to educate a little bit, and I think it's a step in the right direction. And like Stan Bowman had alluded to with the organization wanting to be more transparent with the on-ice dealings, I think that the Blackhawks have made it a point in the past to engage with the Native American community, and I know that John McDonough attended a lot of those types of events to try to raise awareness for the struggles that Native Americans still deal with to this day related to their ouster from the land that they you know, claim as their ancestral heritage. And I think that the Blackhawks are doing a really good job of kind of being more public with that now. And I think that it's definitely going to have a big benefit to the communities that they are, you know, wanting to show awareness for and to show kind of that they're willing to help to in these situations. And I think that it's very interesting seeing some of the moves that they've made already, whether it's banning headdresses at the arena, the land acknowledgement. I do think there is more that they are going to be doing. And it does seem that they're connecting with a lot of groups that are going to be able to help them to turn their words into action. And I'm really interested to see what they're going to do moving forward once we do get fans back into the seats at the United Center. Agreed. I am. uh, Look, if somehow Danny Wirtz becomes the team president here, uh, if it just becomes they remove the interim tag and he's the guy because there doesn't seem to be much evidence of anything else happening. Uh, I have to say I'm fairly pleased with his first offseason as Blackhawks president with the transparency from the organization to the Native American heritage thing and everything they've done so far. Uh, it's been positive in my mind. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Let's see if it continues. Uh, but this is to me a really great step and I like that they're really doing the work here and i hope that it continues and and i have no reason to doubt that it will it it seems like they're fully on board with this and and yeah it probably is a little bit to take some of the smoke off of the logo uh, which i do believe someday will ultimately be changed uh and we can get into that another time we don't have to right now but uh good step good move and i like that they're being forward about it i hope they do something every day on their social media to help really push this and, and get people interested and get people educated. It's, it's a really good thing. Another really good thing and a really bad transition is Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. They are world-famous for their poor boy sandwiches, but really, everything at Marishka's is delicious. The steaks, the chops, the seafood, the twice-baked potato, oh, one of my all-time favorite menu items. So, so great. Marishka's, like a lot of restaurants, in the area have been forced to shut down their dining room because of the pandemic. Even a place like Marishka's, it's been open since 1933. They're struggling through this time. So if you want to go help out Marishka's, go to marishkas.com, place an order, and go pick it up. I'm telling you, Marishka's travels really, really well. It just gets to sit there and soak in that garlic butter and just make it that much more potent 
that much more delicious. So go visit our friend Joe Zdralovich and his family out there in Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street, marishkas.com or facebook.com slash marishkas. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. All right, James, this has been a fairly serious episode, so let's get to some fun. A number of NHL teams have unveiled new uniforms for the 2020-21 season. The Calgary Flames have gone back to the retro red and yellow. Thank you. I love those. Ottawa has gone back to their original jerseys with the less detailed senator, the more two-dimensional senator. Vegas has unveiled all gold uniforms. The Dallas Stars have gone and I guess they watched Tron too many times and they came out with (laughs) some black and neon futuristic things. And then the most troubling news of all, James, you told me before we started, the Penguins are considering bringing back the robot penguin? No! (laughs) Stop! (laughs) Don't do that! Why not? No, it's so bad. The cartoon penguin is awesome. Why would you bring back the robotic penguin? Is this what's is this what's going to happen now? Are we just going to keep cycling through retro futuristic retro futuristic? Is that like let's just get something that like credit to the Blackhawks? They found something that works and they don't mess with it. <laughs> it's just all the cl- think of all the classic team uniforms. In hockey, Detroit, the Rangers, the Hawks, the Leafs, even more modern teams like Carolina doesn't adapt their uniform too often. The Lightning, keep it simple. It's just blue and white. Keep it simple. Stop messing with it. My God, it's so frustrating. I mean, I I do have to obviously throw in here that I think that the Carolina Hurricanes should make their black jerseys their full-time home sweater. Just saying, love the look. Um I, I did want to bring up the Blackhawks, though, because we do know they do technically have a third jersey. It's their Winter Classic jersey from a few years ago. Uh, I've seen rumblings that the Blackhawks could introduce a new jersey this year. And my you know what my first thought was? Was instead of the black jersey with the white stripes and the white trim, what if they did an all-white jersey with black stripes and logo very similar to what they had back when they first came into the league in the 1920s what would you think of that jay would you go out and immediately rock one of those i'm i'm down for anything because most of the things they've come up with have been pretty cool i love the notre dame winter classic ones the black and white striped and i when i first saw it i was like eh. and then i saw it on and oh man is that a sexy looking jersey Mm. i know a lot of people love the 90s black you know just a black alternates i think those kind of look dated i don't know why they just sort of they just feel 90s to me here's you know and i wasn't planning on this but here here's an opportunity though how about an alternate logo how about this is your this is your opportunity to to showcase some sort of black hawk logo and maybe you know if people like it you can phase it in or you can adapt it however but this is this creates a unique opportunity for the hawks like you said that the carolina hurricanes have changed from the they haven't changed but they added in addition to the swirl hurricane logo they added the flags the hurricane warning flags this could be a good opportunity for the hawks to try out an alternate non-native american logo i th- i think that that would be a very interesting uh 
move by them. I'm, I'm wondering like how much lead time they would potentially need to make something like that happen. I know a lot of teams are introducing new jerseys right now because they're wanting to bump up their revenue streams with not having fans in the stands, et cetera. This is not a thing that the Blackhawks would want to or need to rush, I think. If you're really going to use the new jersey for that purpose – I do not want them to rush through it. I want them to come up with something that they're comfortable with and that fans would enjoy. I obviously don't want something slapdash put together just to, you know, jump out and make some money in the coming year. I do hope that they would take that very seriously. (laughs) Put a bird on it like Portlandia. That's how you sell stuff. (laughs) Put a bird on it. Yeah, I don't think the, the, the Hawks don't. They take their uniform so seriously as they should. Um they don't typically rush into things. And I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job. I'm trying to think if there's one I really didn't like. I guess the stadium series against the Penguins one with the metallic kind of a feel to it and the weird like squared off collar. I didn't love that, but I think that's sort of the the stadium series is always trying to go futuristic. So I guess they did the best they could within those parameters. Uh, I don't know. They always seem to do a good job, so I'm I'm open to anything. I, I I but you're right. I don't think they're gonna rush it. I don't think they're gonna just put something together just for the sake of it. I, I'm just surprised that you know Matthias Janmark jerseys aren't flying off the shelves at uh, <laughs> at the Blackhawks store. I, I thought there'd be a line out the door. I I think that they're I think it was their jerseys against the uh, Capitals. I thought were kind of boring. Like I didn't yeah. like the uh, what weren't those the jerseys that had like the El- the see with the tomahawks on the elbows i do like the lower tomahawk though i do like that where they're in, where they're in the stripes i thought that looked cool yeah I'm, I'm indifferent on it um and then they also i think they had that look again when they played the blues i think they had that was the one that had the more black along the shoulders right and then had the chicago stars along the collar I did not like that one. I thought that jersey looked silly. Yeah, I was, was not a fan. Another push to kind of go modern on that one. Uh, yeah, these. Or sorry, classic- that wasn't the Blues. That was the uh, Stadium Series against the Wild. Right. Correct. Boy, there's there's so many. Yeah. That, that a lot of them are just sort of like, who are they playing in that one again? I, uh, I I do like the more elderly Native American. If we're going to keep using it, I thought that I don't know. It was just sort of a different look, and that's like really the throwback logo. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a good opportunity to try a Black Hawk logo and see what happens. I, mm. I, you gotta, and maybe you make the announcement at the end of the month. Hey, here's our alternate jersey, by the way. Notice no Native American imagery. The question is the tomahawks. Can they keep the tomahawks? And that's, you know, I don't know. That's not for me to decide. But a tomahawk is an instrument. It's a It's a tool. It's it's definitely still Native American iconography as far as I'm concerned. If you want to go in that direction, you're kind of wasting your time, in my opinion. But yeah. I'm sure that you know we'll get listeners who will complain about that stance on it. But I think if you're wanting to move away from Native American material, you definitely should not use that one. Yeah, do let's, it or don't. <clears throat> let's transition, I think, just back to the Jersey conversation. I do want to ask you... Like, obviously, the Calgary jerseys are a home run. Yes. Everyone with half a brain loves them. Like, they are, without a doubt, just amazing. 
What do you think of the Vegas Golden Knights jerseys, the gold jerseys that they came out with? I feel like if I see it on the ice, I will like it better. I had a similar feeling about the Nashville yellow jerseys where I saw those and was like, oh, what are you thinking? But on the ice, it actually looks kind of good. It really pops. It really stands out. And you know me. I've always been a uh, – I, I like bright colors. I like mm-hmm. when – I, I don't like unlike you. I we don't get it, like, Jay. You like shiny objects. Well, I don't like the I don't like muted colors. That's why I don't like when teams wear black jerseys. I think it just kind of looks slow and kind of boring. I like colors that pop. So I, 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 you know, I'm 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 down with anything bright. So I, I'm thinking the Vegas one will look better on the ice. They've done a good job with their uniform design. I especially like when they are wearing the whites that they have white gloves. That's such a shift from what hockey's ever done. Mm. I just think it looks awesome. They've made a lot of good decisions, so I'm, I'm really interested to see how it's going to look in-game. I don't love it out of game. I don't know if I'd ever wear one, but I think in-game it's going to look really, really sharp. I'd wear the crap out of a Calgary Flames jersey early oh, yeah. and often. Um, the Dallas Stars jerseys, and for our listeners who have not seen them, I thought Jay did a really good job of describing the way that they look. It's essentially the... Stars logo, the D with the star on the background, surrounded by the state of Texas because everything has to be Texas. Mm -hmm. And then it is a black jersey with neon green piping and stripes and logo and everything. It looks like an all-star. It looks like an all-star jersey. It looks like an all-star jersey. And it just makes me wonder, are the Dallas Stars ever going to nail a third jersey it feels like they're never going to it feels like they're going to keep trying and they're just going to keep uterus jerseying it that's a, no. that's all that's going to happen it's better than the uterus i'll give them that it's better than the uterus jersey but the they finally nailed their their standard jerseys their home and road ones look awesome it's bright green it's block letters it looks terrific yeah, now speaking of jerseys, they look really good on the ice. You yes. are correct about that. They look great because they kept it simple. The other part of this uh, third is, did you see what it, what is inside the collar? There's I a did can- not. There's a cannon, and it says, come and take it. What? So, <laughs> apparently, that's like some sort of slogan of Texas, and the stars had to come out and say, this is not a comment on the Second Amendment. We're not saying come take our guns or we'll kill you. It's nothing like that. It, I guess come and take it has been a traditional Texas slogan, probably about Texas for a long time. Uh, but that's inside the collar. There's a cannon, and it says come and take it inside the collar on the alternate jerseys. I thought they were making some type of commentary on how they were coming to get the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it's funny that the cannon is blasting and there's an exploded uh, hornet on the. Uh, yeah, very strange that there's a, that's so, an exploded Yeah, speaking bug. of jerseys that we'll probably never see again, the Columbus Blue Jackets Hornets jersey. Oh, man. Don't mess with your jersey, Columbus. You've got a good one. Yeah, I just, will die on that hill. That's fine. It looks good. I don't love the font of the letters and numbers, but whatever. They've kept it pretty much true to how it's been since the beginning, so I guess I can accept it. I just. Look, keep it simple. That you look at all the all the great uniforms in all of sports. Like think of the NFL, the Cowboys, the Raiders. Those are the ones that people talk about the most. Even the Bears, it's it's a simple, clean look, and it's it stood the test of time. Don't like the Islanders are a great example. For twenty years, the Islanders have tried different color patterns and logos and 
and and trim and you know they had the wavy sort of a uh, trim on the bottom and they had the gordon's fisherman as soon as they turned it to the navy blue with the orange and white stripes and the basic ny logo it looked good again don't mess with it it's so good as it is did you see the fake third jersey that went around on twitter for the san jose sharks that was a homage to the california golden seals no they so what they did is they took the golden seals kind of the font of their jerseys and the striping to the big white stripe at the bottom of the jersey and instead of the california golden seals the green that they used they made it sharks teal and my wife despises the jersey. I thought it actually looked kind of cool, and I'm kind of bummed out that that's not really going to be their new third jersey. But I'm looking I just at thought, it now. I thought uh, that was interesting. Hmm. I like the colors, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this one. I don't it's know. Too, it's very nostalgic. Like you definitely have to have just a. You have to have like a an undying affinity, I guess, for the California Golden Seals to really <laughs> like it. And I, this is not one of those that I'll die on a hill on. It's just like I thought it was an interesting look and one that maybe I'd like to see him adopt something like that. Give some type of homage to, you know, hockey in the Bay Area. Although I did not know this. Did you know, Jay? Do you know who owns the like the mark rights and all the or the trademarks and all that for the Golden Seals? I don't. It's the Dallas Stars. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that, but apparently they do. Interesting. I did not know that. That's fascinating. By the way, speaking of your Carolina Hurricanes, one jersey I'd like to see come back. I know they do the Whalers every now and again. The navy blue Whalers with the green and gray trim. Uh-huh. Too, too forgotten. That that jersey looked really, really sharp. It's one the one they wore right before they folded. Instead of and I like the green. I like the, the really bright green they wear with the blue and white trim. But I really enjoyed those navy with the gold and gray. I thought those looked awesome. I, I hope someday that those make an appearance again. Cause uh and you know, of course they have to play brass bonanza. Right. You you I was <laughs> I was always partial to the white whalers jerseys. But yes, you are correct. The navy blues do look Incredibly awesome, and I would not mind that at all. Seeing Tavo Taravainen and all those guys whizzing around the ice wearing those things. I was just thinking about that, watching the draft and seeing Jeff Sanderson's son drafted. And there's Jeff Sanderson, good old number eight for the Hartford Whalers, standing by <laughs> as his son gets drafted. Like, man, Jeff Sanderson. That was a guy, he was like the, he's better than Victor Stahlberg, but all speed. Just like he's <laughs> so fast, but just couldn't control it. Like, whoa, here I go. Yep. Awesome in video games, though, because of the speed. <laughs> right. Because then you could actually get him to stop occasionally and do something. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, for those that don't know, EA Sports has released a modern version of NHL 94 for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. It's called NHL 94 Rewind. It's got the rosters up to the end of last year. So like Saad and Crawford are still in the Hawks, but it's really cool. It's the same exact game. Same exact game. James, I'm going to ask you to guess Brent Seabrook's overall rating in NHL 94 Rewind. Now, for reference, Patrick Kane is a 96. The Blackhawks overall as a team, I think, are 73. So what do you think Brent Seabrook's overall rating is in NHL 94 Rewind? 
67. Lower. No way. No flipping way. What? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Keep going. 63. Lower. This is bullshit. <laughs> He's a 48. That is pathetic. No, no, no. Okay, so first of all, this stupid oh, game no. has Evgeny Malkin ranked as the sixth best player in the game. Have they watched hockey in the last five years? <laughs> have they? I, I demand to know whether they have or not. So you're going to have that, and then you're going to have Brent Seabrook as a friggin' 48? Well, if Brent Seabrook's a 48, that would, that would indicate to me that, yes, indeed, they have watched hockey over the last five years. That's a fair point, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I cannot believe that. Ah. <sighs> Well, I thought that was interesting. I didn't know it was going to fire you up as much as it did, but I'm glad it did. Uh, I'll have to pull all the Blackhawks ratings. We can just kind of have a contest on the next podcast because I was laughing hysterically. Patrick Kane in that game, though, you know, he's out of control. He's too fast. I don't know what to do with him. It's like, oh, my God, I can't control this guy. Uh, it's fun, though. If you enjoyed NHL 94, you will enjoy. I know if you bought NHL 21, it came with it. But I think you can buy it separate. I'm not totally sure, but it's fun. It's worth it. If you liked NHL 94, it is the same exact game. You can't make people's heads bleed, but if you line up a hit right, you can make them uh, squirm and, and wiggle on the ice and, and lose them for a period or a game. So, well, now I'm definitely not interested if you can't make guys' heads bleed. Well, just imagine the blood. That's all. I think Fine. That, I think head bleeding, by the way, was 93. I think they got rid of that for 94. I might be wrong. Someone correct me. Madhousepod at gmail.com. When did the head bleeding? Because it, it was only one season. When was the head? When bleeding did the head NHL? bleeding go away? Yeah. All right. Let's make our listeners' head bleeding go away and wrap up this podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. Reminder that James will be interviewing me about my book later this week, which is weird. But I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you want to order the book, a signed copy, go to madhousepod.com/book. While you're at madhousepod.com, check out our merch shop, madhousepodmerch.com. Uh, get yourself some Madhouse swag. Lots of cool stuff on there. But until next time, that's going to do it for this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. Hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of menopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to HelloBonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's HelloBonafide.com and code RADIO39. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. 
Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.